0: Welcome to the Sciences Po Energy Podcast, my name is Paul Evans and today I will be speaking with Arthur Henriot, who is an advisor to the CEO of RTE, the French Transmission System Operator. Arthur is an engineer by training and has a PhD in Energy Economics, where his research topic was how to integrate renewable energy into European power systems. He's also a lecturer at Sciences Po and at Ecole Centrale Paris. He's also the perfect person for the topic in this episode, which is how much renewable energy can be integrated into an electricity grid. We discuss the challenges related to this, particularly how to get enough renewable electricity and how to get it at the right price, the right time and the right location. Arthur is an expert in the European electricity grid and the economics of power generation. We look at how a large synchronous grid, like the one we have in Europe, can help integrate more renewables. We also discuss the changing economics of wind, solar and storage relative to coal and gas and how this can change the case for integrating renewables. Finally, Arthur gives his opinion on how much renewable energy we could integrate into a grid. Hello, Arthur Henriot, and welcome to the Science for Energy podcast. Before I ask you about the integration of renewables, I'd like to find a bit more about you and about your interest in energy.
1: Well, I I think it's difficult not to be fascinated once you realize energy is at the core of our society. So I've always been curious about the different aspects of energy. I was trained as an engineer, I specialized in energy policy, and I then did a PhD in economics about integrating renewables into the market. So I've now been working in the energy field for a bit more than 10 years. I've been employed by RTE, the French transmission system operator, for five years. And I'm also a lecturer at Sciences Po, teaching uh, economics of energy technologies.
0: Now, we understand that you work for the uh, transmission system operator. So you're very well equipped to answer this question, which is what is it that we expect from a power system?
1: The first thing that people expect from the power system, of course, is the power itself. When people switch on the light at any time, they always expect to find electricity. Even at times of crisis, Like now, when most of the economic activity is stopped, well, the power system cannot afford to stop, okay? We need to meet demand at any single instant. People look at what happens when they switch on the light. They also look at their energy bills at the end of the month. So you need to deliver the energy needed at every single second, but you also need to deliver this energy for the right price, and then of course, what people expect nowadays from a power system is to manage the transition towards clean energy mix, and to make the green and to make the transition to a clean energy system possible. And uh, as a TSO. Of course you're at the forefront to make the energy transition possible so we manage system operations we have to make sure that the balance between consumption and generation is going to be respected at every single second with conventional generators with renewable generators we also have to assess the long-term impacts of the national energy plants on the power system we need to take into account the impact of having a significant share of wind and solar in the power system so that we can take the actions that will be needed to cope with this share of valuable renewables. Finally, of course, as the TSO, the transition is very concrete because we have to connect these uh, new energy sources to the network and make sure that the network is going to be sufficiently robust
0: to integrate these renewable energy sources. The reason I wanted to invite you was because I'm interested in this question of how much renewable energy we can integrate into a, an electricity grid. And of course, this is somewhat your expertise. Obviously, there are some some challenges related to this. Like specifically, we want to be able to get enough energy, and we want to be able to get energy for the right price, and we want to be able to get energy at the right time. These are the kind of the three major topics that I want to discuss today. And uh, I'd say kind of one uh, one huge barrier to renewable energy in the past has been the cost but um, luckily generating electricity via wind or solar is now perhaps cheaper than the alternatives and uh, you know this wasn't the case 10 years ago you know the cost of solar have decreased about 90 percent and and wind uh, also decreased but not quite as much can you tell me you know a bit about why you think this has happened and and now kind of how the costs are relative to uh, coal or gas yeah absolutely
1: so indeed um When you work at a transmission system operator, you're really at the forefront of uh, the energy transition and you can see how it develops concretely. Looking at the cost of onshore wind and solar, of course, uh, you can see that the cost for onshore wind have been probably divided by three within 10 years. The cost of solar have been divided by 10 within 10 years. You can look at concrete projects in France and you will see that the results for the last Solar or wind auctions are now close to 60 euros per megawatt hour. There has been a significant progress in offshore wind as well. Most experts agree that uh, these low costs have been made possible thanks to a mix of factors. First one being of course better technologies. We now have wind turbines with uh, longer blades or higher towers that are able to access better wind resources we have more efficient PV panels and so on. Another significant driver of lower costs is the economies of scale that have been made possible. We now install every year 60 gigawatts of uh, wind farm, 100 gigawatt of solar PV. So uh, it allows to reach significant economies of scale in the production process. And uh, this is especially the case for PV, uh, as PV benefits from a high modularity. So it means you can put roughly the same kind of panels on a rooftop in your house or in a 300 megawatt plant, so just put more panels. Coming. Close to economies of scale, another factor is also the increased competitive pressure between suppliers and uh, maybe as well the increased competitive pressure between project developers as the industry is getting mature. Finally, last but not least, we have, of course, a very significant factor, which is the easier access to cheap financing for project developers. Uh, We should always keep in mind that cost of capital is a highly significant share of the cost of a wind farm or a solar farm. It might represent from 20 to 50% of the project costs. And as bankers got more experienced and confident in these projects and in the support schemes that were implemented in the world, well, project developers have been able to access cheaper financing.
0: Sure. Could you tell us a bit more about these economies of scale in in solar? Why is the... Uh, why is economies of scale been so much more important in solar than in wind?
1: Well, uh, you have economies of scale in uh, the single product. So for instance, by building a larger wind turbine, I can get more energy for costs that do not increase as fast as the turbine. So this is really economies of scale of the product. But then you have economies of scale in the production process. And since for kind of any PV panel that you will install in the world is basically the same one, whatever is the size of the final installation, then it allows that you can really focus on getting a more efficient and a cheaper PV panel. And every single plant in the world that is producing PV panel, that is producing PV cells, is working on this uh, basic component that is common to all products. It means that then you can really achieve very significant economies of scale,
0: which is not always the case, for instance, for wind turbines. Of course, now that they're so much cheaper, these two technologies, wind and solar, how are they in terms of um, cost relative to coal and gas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a key question. And uh, if you look now at the costs worldwide, of course, it will change from one country to another. But to put it simply, what we can say today, and which is especially key in terms of energy transition, is that worldwide, if you look at the costs of a new projects, wind farms or solar farms, well, these new projects are Able to compete with new fossil fuel plants in terms of cost, so this is true in most cases worldwide. And in some cases, uh, for the best PV or wind sites, then these new projects are even able to compete with existing fossil fuel plants. So it means it's cheaper to build solar farm from scratch rather than keeping operating a coal plant, for instance. So it's a significant change.
0: We'll go more into questions about how cost changes when we integrate more renewables into the grid later but for now I want to talk about this uh, second part generating enough energy I find it sometimes interesting to do these kind of back of the envelope calculations so broadly speaking let's just say if we take the case of France uh, is it possible to generate enough energy from renewable sources to power 100% of our electricity consumption
1: in it this is the first step in getting to a power system powered with renewables do we have sufficient resources to meet our annual consumption for instance and the short answer is yes you can indeed run a few back of the envelope calculations if you look at the amount of energy that is coming from the sun and reaching the earth uh, at every single instant it's an enormous power of 90,000 terawatts so even if you take into a fact that not all this energy is going to be Used and transformed because some of it will reach the sea and not the land. Some of it is not going to be uh, transformed into electricity and is going to be lost on the way. Even taking into account pessimistic assumptions, you can find out that we probably have an enormous potential of 4,000 terawatts coming from the sun. 4,000 terawatts, to give you an idea, is 4 million nuclear power plants. Sure, we mean 4,000 terawatts, which could be potentially
0: captured by PV cells
1: yeah absolutely captured and transformed into electricity so basically to give you another idea of how big this is it means that if we manage to convert actually 0.3 percent of this energy into electricity that we can use then we have sufficient resources to meet all our energy needs and not only the ones that are based on electricity all of our energy needs so Of course, it's a bit more complex than that in real life and you need to take other factors into account, acceptability and things like that. So you need more detailed studies to be run. Uh, if we take the case of France that you were asking about, uh, France has an annual electricity consumption which is close to 470 terawatt hour, okay, a bit less than 500. And uh, we have a state agency, ADEME, which has been running calculations of how much wind energy is available, how much solar energy is available, even mm. taking into account uh, specific constraints. To go briefly through these results, if you take into account the potential of PV panels that could be installed, on rooftops, so just these PV panels, you already have something that is close to 350 terawatt hours. Okay. You add uh, wastelands and parking lots, and you have 60 terawatt hours more. If you go for onshore wind, then even if you take into account constraints such as the landscape, residential areas, military radars or airports, things like that, you will still get a potential of 360 terawatt hours and this is onshore wind only. Similarly, for offshore wind, while taking into account other uses such as fisheries and so on, you might reach 170 terawatt hours per year. So, you get all these uh, rooftop PV panels, wastelands PV panels, onshore wind and offshore wind taking into account specific constraints, and you already have twice your annual energy consumption. So
0: that's without putting onshore wind in France's national parks and without covering the countryside with solar panels.
1: Absolutely, and it's also not counting for hydropower that already exists and is 60 hour hour every year, for instance. When we think in terms of resource, the problem we have is that uh, when you run a power system, you're not only looking at annual consumption. When you look at it from a power system point of view, you cannot just look at the annual. A generation amount. You have to look at it second by second. Okay, As a power system operator, you want generation at every single instant to match production. So this is a more complex question. If we have the annual potential in terms of resources, can we transform it into something that second by second is going to match our needs? And this is a bit of a more complex question, which is especially interesting for a power system operator. We can look at what exists in already in some countries. In Europe, for instance, Denmark is famous for having a high share of renewables, probably 50% of the generation mix. But Denmark is kind of cheating in a way because it's synchronously interconnected to many other countries which means that it can benefit from resilience coming from its neighbors who do not have that many renewables. An interesting case is to look at islands. Take the case of island for instance. Island is interesting because it does not benefit from such uh, interconnections to neighbors. It is bit on its own to manage its own generation mix. But even in this case island is still able to achieve rate of wind and solar penetration that, has, that are close to 70% at any single instant and the can manage a generation mix with 30% of wind and solar which
0: is already huge sure, so that means that the record in in the republic of ireland is is 75% at a, at a single time of wind and solar
1: yeah absolutely and that's the target for the system operator to to be reached so so this is what we can already see in the world. So we can see it's possible already for some countries to achieve high share of renewables in the mix. But our job as a system operator is also to plan the future and to anticipate what could happen. And uh, that's why RTE has an ongoing study to look at a 100% renewable mix by 2050, okay? And we're going to look precisely at this kind of questions, whether it is possible to balance the system at any single instant and uh, what this system will look like.
0: Can you explain a bit more then about how the economics of wind and solar are different to that of coal-fired or gas plants?
1: Yes, absolutely. So renewables are very different from, for instance, gas plants. So even when you look at the costs in terms of euro per megawatt hour and they are getting closer, the structure of this cost is still going to be very different. And the main difference is that in the case of a solar Uh, installation, or in the case of a wind farm, then most of the costs are going to be investment costs. Okay, It means you have to spend the money now in order to be able to generate power for the next 20, 25, 30 years. It's very different from a gas plant which is going to burn fuel. So the gas plant is going to spend a significant part part of its costs, when it's going to be burning gas, when it's going to run. The impact in terms of cost structure is going to be very different. And the impact in terms of financing is also going to be, to be very different since you have to fund most of your money now before you get the actual revenues. Another thing that is then related to this point is that then the marginal cost of running your solar or um, wind farm are going to be close to zero. Once you've built your wind turbine, then it costs almost nothing to generate energy. A wind farm or solar farm, as long as they are able to generate, as long as there is wind or sun, then they will be willing to generate even at prices that will be close to zero. And this again is very different from a gas plant, which is only going to run if the electricity, if the electricity prices are higher than the fuel costs. So now it's uh, the, the interesting question is that when you get, uh, you know, a significant share of resources in your energy mix that have uh, zero marginal costs and that are willing to run at zero prices, how do you set your prices in this market? And how how do you ensure that prices are going to remain sufficiently high to cover your investment costs? And to my knowledge, this is still an open question, okay, whether the current market design is adapted and whether it will be possible to have pure market-based investments in a system with a very high share of renewables.
0: Indeed, it's a a question which is actually quite relevant to what's going on at the moment. There are a couple of projects now in the Netherlands, or at least the bids were submitted by the project developer Vattenfall in uh, late summer 2019 for subsidy-free renewable electricity. And there are sites, I think it's uh, In the Dutch part of the North Sea, where the developer is planning to build four wind farms with a total of one and a half gigawatts. So do you think that subsidy free renewable electricity is a model that will be common in the future? And it's something that we should start thinking about more.
1: When we look at the actual investment that te- that is taking place in the generation sector right now, when we look at the projects that are getting developed, uh, both wind and solar, most of them do benefit from some form from some form of support schemes. Okay, might be a feed-in tariff, might be a feed-in premium, might be a contract for differences now. But most of them, they benefit from uh, some safe revenue and it's important to keep in mind that you know it's very different from a producer to get a contract for difference with a strike p- price that is close to market price and it's very different from having a revenue that is purely based on market prices okay in the first case maybe you do not get much more money on average but you can show your investors that they are going to benefit from a safe revenue and as we have mentioned earlier capital costs are very important for a renewable project whether it's wind or solar so if you can convince investors if you can convince bankers that your project is safe because you have guaranteed revenues then it allows to get access to cheaper financing so we should not forget that uh, the subsidies the support schemes that have been implemented Of course, they allow renewables to get a higher revenue compared to market prices, but they also allow these renewables to benefit from a safe revenue, which is actually converted then in safer financing costs and cheaper costs. So to put it in a nutshell, I think most experts would agree that it will be a major major change for the renewable industry to have revenues that will be a subsidy free based on market prices rather than to rely on
0: support schemes and we are still a bit far from it so i would suppose you would agree that these instances of substancy free renewable electricity are going to be you know the exception rather than the norm yeah it
1: looks like that uh, seen from today
0: one other criticism of renewable energy of course is that it is uh, it's variable Even though we have uh, cheaper electricity per megawatt hour, they don't necessarily produce electricity 100% of the time, and they don't necessarily produce electricity when it is uh, needed. So... To explore this topic, uh, I want to ask a very simple question, which is to what extent are renewables intermittent or variable?
1: Indeed, that's the key question when you look at things like 100% renewable power sector in 2050. So as a power system operator, you need to look at several questions when you're dealing with a high share of variable renewable in the mix. Put it briefly, you have the question of when. You have a question of how and you have a question of where okay so when will i need electricity and what will be the capacity available at that time Uh, if you look at a concrete example the peak of electricity consumption in france is a peak that happens at 7 pm during the winter and at that time it is clear that you will have little sun available. Then you have to make sure that you will have enough hydropower, wind power, biomass storage available at that time. And if you look at onshore wind for instance, the average load factor uh, in France is probably something close to 21-23% year-on-year, but we have hours with less than 2% even during the winter. Okay, so that's the kind of question that we have to address. As I have mentioned earlier, continental Europe benefits from interconnections between neighbors. So you do not have only to rely on the generation mix in France, you can rely on the generation mix of Western Europe. But even when you look at this larger scale and you benefit from an average production across the different countries in Europe, with wind productions that are not perfectly correlated from one country to another, Even when you look at that, you can still get a few hours uh, with less than 5% production for uh, wind farms. So that's the kind of challenge that you have to deal with, which is related to, you know, this uh, will the generation capacity be available when you need it. Then you have the question of how, okay? Wind and solar production will change across time. So they are sometimes called intermittent. Probably Uh, the term of variable is uh, more adequate. But your system as a whole is going to have to be able to cope with these variations. And to give you an example of a challenge that we face, system operators contract services to ensure that there will be some plants that are able to react quickly in case something happens to the system. So some plants will provide what is called frequency regulation services, and these plants will be able to increase their production, to decrease their production. Uh, Some consumers might also be providing these services to reduce consumption when it is needed. But today, most of the frequency regulation services are provided by conventional dispatchable generators. As we displace these gas plants, these coal plants, with wind farms with solar PV farms, then uh, we will need these uh, renewable resources or we will need other players to provide the frequency regulation services. We need the flexibility that we need. And this is also one of the questions that has to be taken into account. And finally, you have the where question. Okay, so where is the energy needed? Where is the energy generated? And do we have large enough network to handle the flows from generation point to consumption point. And again, we already have in the world today concrete examples of the where question and the where problem. Very famous example is the German one. There is a lot of generation coming from the north of Germany, lots of consumption in the south. And a lack of transmission assets between the north of the country and the south of the country. So at some times, the German system operator has to curtail wind generation because the network is not large enough to get the generation from the north to the south. And the costs are quite significant since it's we are close to 1 billion euros per year.
0: The costs of what? Sorry, the costs of... Uh...
1: The costs of the cost of curtailing wind, yeah.
0: Can you explain a bit more about curtailment? You know, I understand that it's, it's decreasing in, in Europe. So... Do you still think it's a big problem? Yeah, that's,
1: a, that's a very interesting question because the word curtailment is actually a word that is used for very different situations. Okay, uh, We've mentioned the example of Germany and the case of curtailment that is really limiting output of wind uh, farms due to constraints on the network. Because I am not able to get the production from the north to the south, I have to limit the production in the north, substitute it with production in the south. And in the case of Germany, the amount of wind energy that is curtailed every year is close to 5 terawatt hours. so it's something that is quite significant. It's 3% of the wind energy. We also have curtailment in Ireland, for instance, and part of this curtailment is also due to network constraints, but actually most of it is due to system operation rationals. So Ireland takes into account the fact that the system operator is not sure that the system is going to run smoothly with share of renewables in the mix that is too large and uh, the system operator set a limit of 65 percent today for wind and solar in the generation mix at a single time so it means that at some point if there is more wind energy or more solar energy that is generated they will limit again the production of wind energy and solar energy to start some dispatchable synchronous plants and make sure the system operation is safe. So this is another form of curtailment. And in Ireland, we are again the same order of magnitude, probably 2% of wind generation that is curtailed due to network constraints and 4% that is curtailed due to system operation rationals, okay? So these are the kind of maybe more negative curtailment that we need today because the network is not sufficiently robust or because we are not sure we can ensure safe operations with too significant amount of uh, wind for instance but curtailment is not something that is negative per se and uh, to give you an example of a more positive curtailment RTE has recently published a 15-year network plan okay so we look at the kind of investments that will be needed in the transmission network so that the system will work properly with the kind of generation mix that is expected from our national plans and an interesting result of this study is that we have shown that by curtailing 0.3% of wind generation, so it's a very minor share of wind energy, it will be possible to save 7 billion euros of network investment out of 40. Okay, so that's something that is not neglectable. Why is that? Because sometimes, you know, the wind energy production is going to be very variable, and it might not be worth it just build a network that is going to be needed for a few hours during the year. In this case it might be rational from an economic point of view not to adapt the network to this point and just to limit the production
0: of wind farms at these times when so to curtail electricity that is already produced is efficient in certain circumstances
1: yeah it's uh, uh, curtailment is efficient uh, up to a point that has to be calculated based on the system properties probably when you curtail five percent of your wind energy uh, it's not only efficient curtailment but we should not have as an objective to just reduce curtailment to zero it does not really make sense
0: talking more about the or when part of the challenge that system operators need to look at. Um, Everybody really now is talking about energy storage. And often when we talk about energy storage, we are really talking about about batteries. So another thing which is good about batteries is they, like wind and solar, have got much cheaper over over the past 10 years. Why is storage getting so much cheaper? And what problems do you think storage has? And what potential do you think storage has to solve problems related to variability and to get power to people when they need it?
1: Indeed, nowadays we hear a lot about storage. By storage, people usually mean battery storage and lithium-ion batteries. The first thing is that lithium-ion batteries are not restricted to the power system. They are already commonly used in many appliances, your cell phone, your laptop. So they have benefited from progress that came from out of the power system. And as a result, they've got really cheap. And it's probably comparable to solar to some point, as costs have been divided by close to 10 within the past decade. Lithium ion batteries today also appear as the main technology that will be used in electric vehicles. So it benefits again from learning by doing and economies of scale that make them very cheap. Nowadays, we see lithium ion, lithium ion batteries getting installed uh, as a tool that can be used by the power system. Um, we already see some stationary storage. Uh, battery storage has proven to be a very competitive technology for providing the frequency regulation services we are talking about. Many projects have been built in Germany or the UK to deliver these services of uh, flexibility to the power system. Tomorrow, we might have even more batteries connected to the system as electric vehicles develop and get connected to the power system. Again, to give you an idea of uh, the impact it could have if we think of 15 million electric vehicles connected to the grid and acting in a flexible way in france by 2035 this is a case that RT has been studying and a study has been published last year uh, well having 15 million ev acting in a flexible way means that we will have 10 times the capacity in terms of flexibility Uh, we would have 10 times the capacity of the pumped hydro storage plants we have in France. So this is something that is really significant and something that is very helpful for the power system operator. There is indeed a strong potential for lithium-ion batteries to play a role in the system tomorrow. Batteries can be used to store the energy at some point and uh, deliver it a few hours later when the, for instance, to store the electricity that is generated by solar PV during the day and uh, use the energy at night. So it can prove quite useful. Uh, One thing that I want to point out is that as a power system operator, you need a wide range of flexibilities because the batteries are good to do some things, but they are not good to do everything. Typically, if we switch to a 100% renewable power system, it is likely that we are going to need some form of seasonal storage, storing energy in the summer to deliver it in the winter. And in this case, the lithium ion batteries might not be the best tool that you can use. So as a power system operator, it's clear that batteries batteries of electric vehicles or batteries that will be delegated to the power systems Batteries will be useful, but demand response will be useful as well. Maybe hydrogen will be useful in a 2050 scenario. And uh, of course, other forms of flexibilities, such as the smart curtailment of renewables we've been mentioning, uh, will also prove useful. And that's all these flexibilities taken together that will allow the power system operators to manage a system
0: with a high share of variable renewables. You would say that at the moment, the economics of storage which provide a solution to variability kind of within a day is uh, is almost or it's it's already economic in, in certain circumstances but the the problem of more seasonal based variability is is more difficult to solve.
1: Yeah, and even to put it even more clearly maybe today the business case that we see for storage in western europe is mostly based on providing these very fast reserves. And a lot of them got installed to provide this uh, primary reserve, frequency containment reserve, as it is called, uh,
0: which is a limited market. So we will see now... That means we're talking about within the day, it's uh, it's just purely the balancing market. Yeah, but these costs are changing fast, so we'll see what happens to a system. Yeah. You talked briefly there about hydrogen, and there's a hope that we can generate hydrogen using electrolysis powered by renewable electricity and that this can solve part of, let's call it, the, the seasonal challenge to variability in renewable energy. Now, I've been reading a few studies, particularly one published by the IEA last year, and we understand that right now this uh, model isn't quite economical, but do you think that it, it will be in the future?
1: Yeah, it's it's clear that there is nowadays a momentum of hydrogen. Everybody is talking about hydrogen. Sometimes people get kind of confused between the different uses that can be made of hydrogen. Arty also published a, stu- a study on hydrogen looking at the different cases that could be made and uh, the economics of these cases. The conclusion of this study is that today there might be a case for clean hydrogen, as a substitute to dirty hydrogen that is already used by many industries to produce fertilizers, to refine oil. So the industry uses dirty hydrogen that is made through steam natural gas reforming, for instance, and we could substitute it with clean hydrogen that is made from uh, electrolysis of clean electricity. Now the question is whether the business case is sufficient today. And it's clear that with today's technologies, it's difficult for clean hydrogen to compete with dirty hydrogen. But it makes sense if you look at the kind of carbon emissions that could be avoided by uh, switching to clean hydrogen. There is a second large use, that is this seasonal use of hydrogen in the power system to meet the variability of renewables. And, well, our studies concluded that up to 2035, when you look at, at our national energy plans, it is likely that we will not need hydrogen. Until then, uh, we have sufficient flexibility from nuclear, from hydropower, from other forms of flexibility. But now, when we get to a 2050 power system, we'll see whether hydrogen
0: makes sense or not. So the final question, which is why we're here today, is if we take into account our constraints, which are getting electricity to people in industry when they need it and where they need it, and for a relatively low price, How much renewable energy can we have on a power grid? And this is whilst taking into account, you know, changes in the economics of underlying technologies of storage and generation that we might have in the next, let's say 10 or 20 years.
1: Part of our job as the system operator is of course to look at the possible futures and we look at it because if you need some transmission line to get out of the ground, for instance, then it takes many years, so you'd better be ready and uh, of course as part of this forecasting job that is then used by the ministry to adjust the national plans that is then an input to many studies that are produced we look at these different scenarios one of them in, indeed is the 100% renewable scenario we also look at renewable and nuclear for instance if you want to know whether 100% Renewable scenario is possible. Uh, you have to look at these points that we've mentioned, uh, whether we have re- the resources, whether we can operate the system safely, uh, whether the markets will be able to deliver the right investment and operation signals. And then you have the question of the transition. And when we discuss about all these topics, we talk, of, we talk about the energy transition. Once you have the right target and you know the target is possible, you also have to make sure that the transition to the target is also possible. So if we just think of the target, then the studies that we are doing right now, they will tell us whether a 100% renewable scenario is possible, what it means for the power system, This is a very complex study, so I'm not able to guess what the results will be. But you can infer a a few things from looking at current cases. And uh, we've mentioned the case of Ireland, of course, which is a very good example. Ireland, as as an island, is able to reach an average of 30% of uh, renewable electricity generation in its electricity mix. But Ireland suffer from not being synchronously interconnected to other countries, Ireland has little hydropower. So from this, it's easy to estimate that probably uh, 50% share in uh, a large synchronous area, such as continental Europe, will be easy in a way. So uh, if we have hydropower, if we have interconnections, 50% is already probably doable. And we have studied such such a scenario in one of our long-term adequacy studies published in 2017. So 50% is easy now to know uh, whether going from 50% to 100% is going to be that easy. We still have to demonstrate. And then there is of course the question of the transition to the target. And this is a question that cannot be ignored. We've seen areas that had been very successful in developing wind farms, for instance meeting an increasing level of opposition. So it's the case of Germany, with many wind farms being blocked in permitting issues right now. Uh, Germany installed more than 6 gigawatts of wind farms in 2017. They only installed close to 1 gigawatt in 2019. Uh, We also have cases in the north of France, A significant share of the wind farms that got installed in France uh, have been installed in the north. And now there is increasingly local opposition to new wind farm projects. So reaching the target is not easy. And it's likely that as the development pace increases, we will meet further opposition. Give you an idea of the kind of pace we have to reach. Today, we connect more or less 2 gigawatt of wind and solar projects in France every year. And we have to go up to 6 gigawatts per year of onshore wind and solar. And we need on top 1 gigawatt of offshore wind connected every year to the network. So, of course, it's a technical challenge, but it's also a societal challenge. Will people be willing to accept this project and their consequences?
0: Thank you very much for coming on the Science for Energy podcast.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks again. Very interesting discussion.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sciences Po Energy podcast, recorded and produced in Paris by Paul David Evans with help from Sylvain Barhoudar. If you like the podcast, then feel free to leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you are listening. And if you're an undergraduate student and you're interested in energy, then have a look at the program offered by Science Po.